0: You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show.
1: As a lot of you longtime listeners know, we talk a lot about enrollment and marketing here on the Higher Ed Marketing Podcast. But today we're going to look internally and we're going to talk to Eddie Francis about the growing importance of employer branding within higher ed. Yes, we are broadcasting Mission Fit to our potential students, but are we doing that to our potential employees and longtime colleagues?
2: Yeah. Eddie does a great job of just bringing it uh, today. He's such a wise and articulate gentleman that really kind of talks about his passion and his passion is, you know, fixing this hiring problem and retention problem that higher ed has. And so uh, he comes away and and really kind of provides with what we always love is really practical and pragmatic things that we can do at the end of the show. So uh, it's a very valuable show. So be sure to listen and take some notes. Here's our conversation with Eddie Francis. Eddie,
1: we warned you in our previous conversation that we love to ask this question at the beginning of every episode. And we're so surprised of the different types of answers we get. So for you, I would love for you to share something that you've learned recently that you would either deem interesting or fun that listeners would like to get a kick out of.
3: You know, I'm going to go for something interesting. I actually ran across a piece literally a couple of days ago, six things to avoid when writing job descriptions. (laughs) And (laughs) I got to tell you, I'm one of those people who will look at a job description and ask the question, Why did you write that? (laughs) But this one is probably not so much humorous so much as it is interesting. And the article is by Maxwell Huppert, senior creative copywriter for Zorro.com. And one of the things that he wrote in the piece was avoiding male-specific terms. And I had not even thought about what kinds of terms are male-specific. So terms like strong, competitive, assertive, This is my favorite one, ninja, (laughs) which I have to tell you, when when people started putting, you know, we need you to be a data ninja, honestly, the first time I saw that, I did think to myself, really, is this what we're doing? (laughs) But even even the word decisive, and at one point he put leader and self-reliant, and I was trying to figure out what could take the place of leader, and then it occurred to me, the job title. Just give somebody the job title, and you're pretty much good. But then there are also words that he pointed out that will drive male applicants away, nurturing, sensitive, words like that. So one of the things that Hupper suggested is keeping things as simple as possible in job descriptions. And I know people hate to do that because everybody's everybody wants their job description to be sexy and they want it to be interesting and people go too far. And so he, he actually suggested terms Simple terms like professional, courteous, customer-oriented, responsible. And like I said, just, you know, instead of going for leader, maybe just going for the title of the position. But here's the most interesting thing. And I had no idea there was such a thing. I feel like I'm way behind on this. But it's been a few years since I've recruited. But there's an app that can help people come up with equitable terms to use in job descriptions. And it's called Gender Decoder. And so I think that's a really interesting thing that I ran across, that when you want to write your job descriptions, make sure the job description is, is as equitable as it can be to anybody who's applying for the position. But yeah, I agree, I, I agree with with Hubbard in this. Let's stay away from Ninja. Let's not do that one anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is the name of that app again? Uh, Gender Decoder is the app. Thank you. And you very much delivered on something that I feel that our listeners will find very interesting, especially if they are finding our topic of the day interesting, which is the importance of employer branding within higher ed. And that's why we've invited you to the podcast. You are a brand strategist. You are a consultant. But I would like for you to let the listeners know a little bit more about you and how you help the institutions that you work with.
3: Yeah, one of the things uh, that I do working with institutions is, first of all, getting them to understand that the faculty and staff who work for your particular institution, they have to find value in the experience. I have this core belief, and that core belief is being valued matters. So even if you have that, that professor who's tenured, And you're sitting there going, well, they're tenured. They're just going to kind of sit on their position for as long as they can. But they still have to find value in being tenured. They still have to find value in experience. You know, the admissions people, they don't want the finger just pointed in their faces when things aren't going too bad, when things aren't going right. They want to be congratulated when they exceed their goals for bringing in students. And the same thing with the people in development. They want to be congratulated for bringing in those extra dollars and exceeding their goals and that sort of thing. And certainly folks who are in marketing and communications, folks who are in MarCom, they wanna be congratulated when those great news stories come out or when that brand identity is really, really felt by not only the students, the alumni, the supporters, the donor, the surrounding community. So, you know, it's really important to me when I engage with institutions for them to understand that, The biggest thing about employer branding is making sure that there is value found in the work experience with their institutions. I think another thing, though, that I I really, really like to emphasize with institutions is not only is it about getting great people in the door, but it's about keeping great people because nothing hurts more, I think, than watching a very talented person walk away from any kind of organization, somebody who has done a great job, somebody who has got some great numbers or they've they've produced really well, or somebody who was just a very treasured coworker who made everybody feel as if they wanted to be at work every day. I think it's really important to concentrate on talent attraction and retention. And that's uh, something else that I really focus on with institutions.
1: Thank you, Eddie, and would love for you to kind of break that down for us, starting out with the challenges of hiring within higher ed, and then we can move to the retention. Can you give us some examples of some of the things that you are seeing, and then maybe some of the solutions to what you're seeing?
3: Yeah, I always say, unfortunately, that higher ed has a hiring problem. And one of the biggest issues That's on the table right now. There is a legitimate talent crisis that higher ed is dealing with. And to very simply illustrate it, the story that, that I have is a couple of years ago, I was looking for a social media coordinator. When I ran that search back in 2020, I had about 200 applications, great applicants to look at the final five that I looked at were competitive. And it was hard to even narrow it down to that final five. I really loved what I saw and I was able to find the person I wanted. Fast forward to 20, a year later, actually, just about a year and a month and change later, I was looking for a communication strategist, which is, you know, the same level, you know, more or less along the lines of the same skill, but it's pretty, pretty much in the same vein. I had 30 applicants and I had to fight. (laughs) for the one I wanted, I, you know, I found this, I found this candidate on LinkedIn. I, luckily I've been a recruiter. So I knew exactly what to do. I knew exactly how to pitch the position. I knew how to pitch the culture of my team, the culture of the campus. And so that was a conversation I was able to handle. I knew how to negotiate the salary and all of that good stuff. And I was able to find that person. But if that person had turned me down, then I would have had a problem. And so I might have been at a crossword. I I might have even had to fail the search and start over. And so that's just how thin that applicant pool was. The other issue besides declining applications that a lot of institutions are looking at is the quality of candidates a lot of times. And one of the reasons that's become a problem is since the lockdown of 2020, people have been empowered to work for themselves they have started their own consulting agencies they have found out ways to tell folks hey well i can't come to your campus but you know what i can do this job from home and campuses some campuses have said great we're going to we're going to go ahead and let you work from home Other campuses have said that, no, 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 you got to be on campus and you have got to feel the, the energy of the campus. And of course, you have those leaders on campus who are saying, no, no, I need to see you walk into the office every day. Well, since 2020, there have been a lot of folks who have said, yeah, okay, that's fine. I don't need to do this job. And by the way, you don't pay enough anyway. So I'll just go do something else. And I think that's a shock to higher ed system because higher ed has been used to people just coming to us and just applying for those jobs and saying, hey, I know there's a lot of job security working for your institution, so I really want to come work with you because I know I can do this job for 20 years. And higher ed isn't seeing that anymore. They're not seeing people operate from that space anymore. Now they're dealing with a bunch of empowered people in the workforce who are saying, you know, I really can do whatever I want with a good internet connection <laughs> and, and people people are opting out. The other thing is it, it's not even just about you know the internet connection. The other difficulty is now, I don't know if higher ed has heard of this, but there's this thing called social media. And you know what's happening on social media? People are sharing the the amount of money that they stand to not make if they take a job. At a particular college or university and this year i mean especially for public institutions that's public information so now you know higher ed is in a spot where people are circulating the salaries around and there's and they're saying you got to be joking you mean to tell me you want me to be a marketing and communications director for fifty thousand dollars when really the job should be paying no less than 80. you know so so this is what's happening for higher ed as far as, as far as identifying and recruiting and finding the talent that they want. That's, that's the big thing.
2: As I'm sure you have known that the whole idea of artificial intelligence and especially things like chat GPT are really starting to transform higher ed marketing. I really don't want anyone on this podcast to be left behind, so I really want to invite you to join the top minds in higher education at the inaugural Higher Ed Marketer Virtual AI Summit. It's going to be on October 24th, and in just one day, you're going to be able to discover practical strategies to leverage AI as your marketing collaborator and walk away with a lot of new skills as you do that. During the summit, you're going to learn how to create personalized outreach at scale, streamline content creation, boost your productivity, and so much more. Join Troy and I as we learn directly from innovative leaders and many of those who have been our past guests, including Jamie Hunt, CMO at Old Dominion, Brian Piper from the University of Rochester, and Kyle Campbell, the education marketer. You're also gonna be meeting several of our new friends such as Rafi Dersinian of ERI Design, Dr. Gil Appel of the George Washington University School of Business, Dr. Jules White of Vanderbilt, and Artis Kadu from Element 451 and Austin Marshall on how to use AI for your graphic needs. Seats are limited for this can't miss event. Visit higheredmarketer.com. that's thehigheredmarketer.com, and use code PODCAST for 20% off your ticket. There's also rates available for groups of tickets, so you can find out more at the site. I want you to unlock the power of AI to enhance enrollment, giving, and beyond at your institution. Join us on October 24th. Let me ask you, let's tease that out a little bit, Eddie, because I'm, I know a lot of people may be listening. I mean, the three of us right here on the show, I think we're all Xers. And so I think that, you know, just different generations. And I know a lot of times people our age who are Xers, maybe boomers, a lot of times they'll look at it and say, well, that's just those young millennials, or that's just those generation Z. I don't think that's the case. Can you unpack no. that a little bit? Cause it's, yeah, t- talk about <laughs> no. that. No, it's not the case. <laughs> um,
3: No, no, I'm an expert, definitely. And I think our generation, we were sandwiched between the baby boomers and the millennials. And I think one of the things that's been good about our generation is that we have been so open to learning from the millennials and Gen Z. And we've been sitting there looking at them going, huh, you guys have figured some things out that that we really wish we would have figured out in our 20s. And so- and you have resources that that we wish we would have had, right? and so I think I think what would I think that's the first thing. I think what folks have have failed to understand uh, you know, is that yeah, we joke a lot about the millennials. we joke a lot about Gen Z. but those of us who pay attention have figured out that they really have a lot to teach us. And they have a lot to teach us about leveraging technology. And for those of us who have been pretty savvy about it, we sat there and said, OK, well, let me shut up and just see what they're doing and figure out because I'm I'm not, I, you know. And the other thing is, I mean, I think we all get to the sick and tired of being sick and tired point. I think for extras, you know, for those of us in our late 40s, 50s and early 60s, you know, we're sitting here going, I'm not going to ride into the sunset miserable. I want to ride into the sunset on my best at the top of my game and doggone it. If that means creating my own agency, then I'm going to do that. And I would, and I think the other thing for us is we have pretty aggressively said, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching these millennials live their best lives. in a lot of cases, you know, laptop lifestyle. I mean, we're watching all of this stuff and we're asking ourselves and we're asking each other in a lot of cases, well, When are you going to do that? Because don't you want to move on to something that's a, don't you want to have a bit more fun doing your job? And don't you have some dreams you want to fulfill by the time it's all said and done? And are you going to be able to do it as a comptroller at a university that's not paying you what a comptroller should be making? You know, so I think, I think that's what a lot of people tend to miss, uh, particularly in our generation. I, I find us to be a pretty adaptable generation even with our gray hair and missing hair. I mean, we are adapting. But then I think the other thing is, I know speaking for myself, I have a real interest and a passion in teaching the millennials who are coming into leadership positions, who are backfilling those leadership positions that we're leaving. And we definitely want Gen Z to prepare to be uh, um, leaders. And we want to be able to tell them This is how you prepare yourself for this next wave of leadership. And this is how you, and by the way, we need y'all to run these colleges and universities in a very sensible way. So we want to prepare you for that too. So I I think that's, I think those are a couple of things that people are kind of ignoring about the dynamics, uh, particularly of our generation and how we interact with the other generations.
2: Yeah. So let's pivot for a second, just kind of staying on that theme though. When you're talking about retention though, Okay. So we talked a lot about, you know, Hey, there's challenges. People are just like, Hey, I got a laptop. I'm going to go do the lap- laptop lifestyle. And that's the way I'm going. I want my job to be reflected of that too. What about retention? I mean, you've got, you know, the same type of thing. I mean, there's a lot of people that have been around and like you said, people are looking around and saying, is this the way I'm going to end my career? Is this what I want to do? Is this how it ends? And how does that play into this whole problem of, of, you know, higher ed, not only having a hiring problem, but maybe having a retention problem.
3: Higher ed has to think much differently about compensation. And I'm not talking about money. I mean a full compensation package. You can't, you can't tell somebody, you know, that you can't tell somebody, you have so many sick days. Like we're not going for that anymore, right? And and people, in order to retain people, when they see that an institution doesn't have flexible policies around not only compensation, but it doesn't have flexible policies around sick days and that sort of thing. All people are asking is, well, can you be more flexible? Because I have a very serious illness. I mean, there, there was recently a story that I caught on social media about a teacher, and this was a K through K-12 teacher who had cancer, and all these other teachers donated their sick days so that this teacher could take care of himself. That's a sad story. You know, why can't somebody just say, we know you're battling cancer, and we're going to let you do this as long as you can. And we, as your employer, we're going to be there. And we know that employers have budgets. We, we got that. But I always say this, people pay for what they want. And so if you really want to retain your talent, you're going to pay for that. One of the things, Bart, that was really interesting to me, you know, Cooper HR just released their 2023 Higher Education Employee Retention Survey. And you know, one of the things they pointed out is just under 80% of the people who they surveyed were looking for new opportunities. However, they did say that they were willing to stick around if they had opportunities to work remotely, if they had flexible schedules, if there were promotions or more responsibilities and new challenges that they could take that they could take care of. I think one of the most important things for retention, one of the most important things. That colleges and universities can build into their compensation packages is actually professional development. Pay for people's professional development. And don't be afraid that somebody is going to leave your institution. Be more concerned that they're going to leave your institution and tell other people to never apply for a job over there.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I mean, that's going to be part of the challenge is how do we keep that communications and marketing going?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I think, and, and I really would, you know, encourage people to look this survey up because, I mean, some of the numbers in there are just not great at all. Like 71% looking to move on to other colleges and universities. That's a 3% increase from twenty from the 2022 survey. And 61% looking to move away from higher ed into the private sector. You know, with numbers like that, you have got to take talent attraction and
1: retention much more seriously. So when you're talking about the talent attraction and retention, I think we're going to be thinking more of how Gen Z is going to be attracted and retained. And I know that you've said in other forums that you feel that Gen Z is going to be very impactful to the culture of higher ed. So if you can kind of take us through how that potential disruption is going to happen or why you feel that way.
3: Well, one of the bad things about our generation (laughs) is that I think we still have a lot of people who are kind of living in 1991. And what I mean by that is you still have leaders who are in our age bracket and older who are saying, well, this is the mission of the institution, but don't worry about the mission of the institution. Just come in here and get the job done. Well, Gen Z doesn't think that way. Gen Z is saying, what's the mission of the institution? Huh. You know what's interesting? You're not living up to the mission. So why should I believe you and why should I follow you and why should I trust you? There's a great story that I love to tell about a friend of mine who's a tail end baby boomer. And he has some interns working at his business and they're all Gen Z. And he says, "Okay, well, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. And if you have this issue, make sure you come to me. And one of the one of the students raised their hand and asked, "Okay, well, who's your boss? And he goes, well, I run the business, so that's not how this works. (laughs) And the student was like, yeah, who's your boss? (laughs) So this student was not backing down. And so when he told me the story, I said, "Okay, man, listen, that's how they process authority. Like everybody has a boss to them. And they want to know that not if, but when you screw them, they want to know who they need to go to. And he says, I'm not going to do anything to them. I say, it may not be your intention, but we all make mistakes. And what they want to know is when you make one that's bad enough, who do they need to go talk to? And he just didn't understand that, you know? And that makes me think about, I think it was 2020, the the Edelman Trust Barometer talked about how people are really kind of resentful of authority these days. And that is all over Gen Z. They really, really have to trust you. And I mean, really have to trust you in order to follow you. So going into higher ed, a mission-based industry, Gen Z is gonna walk in, or they they have started walking in, and they have started being pretty vocal about saying, we want to make sure that the people at the top are living the values of the institution, and we don't mean get up and make a rah-rah speech and then go behind closed doors and be a jerk. We wanna know that you're gonna make the rah-rah speech and you're gonna be rah-rah behind closed doors as well. And we wanna know that you genuinely believe in this. And when I was alluding to the fact that our generation and the baby movements have kind of dropped the ball on this, we know that person who says, oh yeah, yeah, I just told them that and I just rah-rah-rah behind closed doors. And, And Gen Z, you know, and the millennials too, actually, they can see it all over your face if you don't mean what you say. And so I I think that is, honestly, Troy, I think that is the biggest disruption, that they want to see authentic leadership. And if you are not in it for the right reasons, they are going to vote with their resumes and they are going to go elsewhere or they're going to start their own thing.
2: Yeah, and I think that's important too because, I mean, Thinking about this, this is a lot of valuable content. I, I love the conversation that we're doing. And I'm also going back to, okay, I'm a higher ed marketer. I'm hearing this, I'm a leader. So I get all this. I'm making sure that I understand this. I'm jotting that down, but from a MarCom position, how do I infuse authenticity into my culture?
3: Yeah. Yeah. That is <laughs> one that we have been, man, the MarCom community, we have been discussing this so much, Bar. And I think number one is, it's not about what, it's not about what you see on the website. It's not about what you see on social media. It's about the conversations taking place behind closed doors. And those conversations- It's the
2: actual brand that people, I mean, that's yeah. branding right there.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it is really having the actual conversation about what you value as an institution and expressing that in an honest way. Let's be clear. If your institution has an ADA issue, do not start putting a bunch of people who have certain disabilities on your branding, your collateral, as if you are the best ADA institution in the country. Don't do it. Don't do it. And and I know that there are people who are saying, well, yeah, but you know, we, we just got wheelchair access to this one building. Okay, just got. So you still have, the Department of Justice is on you right now. You got all kinds of stuff that you have to straighten out. Your website isn't compliant. I mean, you just have all these things missing. Be honest with yourself and just say, let's not put this on a collateral because we're not there yet, okay? It's
2: no and, it's no different than what was it in the 90s. And I'm not, you know, we're not going to name names, but somebody Photoshopped, you know, different uh, races into their, you know, stand in their view book. I mean, it was like, we don't have enough people. So we're just going to, Photoshop them in. I mean it, and, to, and people are like, can't believe that. Well, we're talking about the same thing. Yeah,
3: it, it is the ways. same thing,
2: and I, and I think
3: if if you have an institution that is not very ethnically diverse, and you know <laughs> they go find the they go find the one person, you know, out of out of fifty who they can throw onto the poster. And this isn't just predominantly white institutions. I mean, the HBCU community has had this conversation too. And so, you know, you do this, then you have to be honest with yourself. And when people come to you and say, hey, how come there aren't more people of color represented in your, on, on your posters and that sort of thing? What Gen Z is looking for, you know, to go back to them, what they're looking for you to do is to be very honest, make a very informed PR move, and to say, listen, we have a long way to go with this topic. I'm just going to be honest with you. Here's what we're doing to address it. But we knew it would be disingenuous to put our one black student out of 50 on this poster just because we want more black students. You know, that that's a different move. And that's a back, that's a behind closed doors move that you have to make to increase diversity, you know, with your institution, as opposed to making somebody your representative on the bus board. And then saying, yeah, yeah, we're gonna get there. Look, look at the one person in the wheelchair we put there. You know, it's it's you know, so I, I think I think I think people have to be honest and they have to realize that you know that diversity in marketing really does tell it has to tell an honest story, and you have to do some honest work behind closed doors.
1: We've discussed and the both of you have put out there some of the challenges that we're going to face within higher ed. So I would also like to challenge you if we could talk about some of the pragmatic solutions and strategies, especially around communication and enhanced communication. I think you were just describing some mistakes that have been made in the past. If we can go down the path of offering some solutions to our listeners.
3: Yeah, I think number one is every institution Presumably, so every institution has a mission that is somehow directed to making people better, right? And so, lean into it, lean into the solution. Let that mission be your north star. If you don't think the mission is realistic for whatever reason, then make whatever adjustments you have to make to it. Just know that that's a big adjustment when you when you start messing around with your mission. But then also. I think also communicating the campus atmosphere, what the value of the campus atmosphere is. And one thing I find, you know, having worked at three HBCUs, especially for under-resourced institutions, a very hard conversation is saying, hey, listen, everybody isn't for your institution. So not everybody who wants to work here is going to want to work here when they see that what you're communicating in terms of mission, and atmosphere doesn't necessarily fit where they are in their lives. And you're going to have to just say, that's okay. There's somebody else out there who who really fits our mission and who can really help us cultivate a great campus atmosphere based on where we are. I think the other thing, Troy, is really communicating in various ways whether it is social media, whether it is social media, whether it is things like the, the university podcast or something like that. I do think, you know, communicating the natural enthusiasm and communicating the natural relationship that you have with your brand is another thing. And then, of course, and I think the other thing is finding another way to talk about the diversity of the campus because when we talk about diversity on campus, we automatically go to ethnicity. We automatically go to things like ability, but I'll go back to the HBCU experience. You know, I thought one of the most wonderfully diverse things, I think one of the most wonderfully diverse things about HBCUs, for example, are the different cities that all these different students come from. And they had no idea that they were so different, (laughs) you know, coming from the Midwest, coming from the South, coming from the West Coast. They also had no idea that they were so different in terms of their faith-based practices. Or maybe not having a faith-based based practice, so they, you know, there are all these different things to celebrate diversity, and then most definitely when it comes down to diversity, even within the same city, different neighborhoods coming together at that one institution and figuring out how that colors the experience as well. So I think those are some things to communicate specifically, and then, and then lastly, you know, I would definitely say communicating the value. focusing very specifically on the value of the work experience and communicating that is something is something else that I think a lot of institutions can do.
2: I like those ideas a lot, Eddie, and it kind of, kind of brings to mind too, that, I mean, certainly those are all things, you know, finding the mission fit and communicating that and the authenticity and the diversity and all that. I think that's great. How do we actually pull in like, you know, data to help us with that? I mean, it's one thing to be able to say, you know what, hey, we're going to do this and and we can dream this up over the boardroom and lunch and everything. But how do we actually put some data behind that to give it a little bit of teeth?
3: This is where I would love to see a union among MARCOM, human resources, and institutional effectiveness. This is actually something I dreamed of doing at my last job. And, And I think, first of all, So there are a lot of institutions that are taking data from employees. They are collecting employee satisfaction data. Well, you got to use it too. (laughs) So you can't collect it and just let it sit. Because what has to happen is when, when, first of all, I hope surveys have to be designed in a pretty specific way to focus very much on what the value of the experience is at that institution. There's gonna be some bad news in those surveys though, right? I mean, not everybody is happy with where they are and you know how things get when you get to the academic side of the house. You know, on the academic side of the house, you tend to have some folks with some pretty strong feelings about a lot of things. Oh, that never happens at any school. (laughs) No, man, I don't know what I'm thinking. But yeah, I mean, but, but you can't be afraid of that data. Like you have to look at it and say, okay, well, let's dig into why this person is so dissatisfied what are we missing you know what do we need to do so i think so i think when when the data are collected people have to be really number one they have to they have to have thick thick skin right they have to know that there's going to be some stuff in there that they're not going to like but they also have to stay very focused on what the value is and i think for the stuff that they don't like they have to figure out how to use those data to address those issues. Now they're not going to fix everything. And again, not everybody's going to be happy. But if you can at least go for making sure that people have a fulfilling experience, whatever that looks like working at that institution, then I think that you can, you can really, really save yourself a lot of headache. And, and you know, and, and I think I think that's how I think that's one way. And that that's one way to get started using the data that's collected from employee satisfaction surveys.
2: Okay, great. So I'm going to, I'm going to transition to this last part of the, the discussion here. And, you know, I think people have listened long enough, especially if you've been listening in the last few months, I always bring up AI in some way. So I'm going to bring it up now. And so, you know, but I, one thing I think, and, and as I'm way down the rabbit hole with AI, and I've been really playing with it, even with some data analysis now. And so the idea that all of this data that we have on campuses, everything that's in the IR, that's going to be a whole lot more accessible in the next six months year, 18 months, because I, I've seen some demos with some different folks that literally, you know, they have all of the data in the cloud. They start chatting with it, with a tool like chat GPT, and they can ask questions much like we're having a conversation here now. So all of a sudden that data is not going to be just stuck in SQL database fields that we have to hire the analyst analysts to come in and figure out what questions do we need. We can actually start conversing with it that's going to change a lot and it's going to allow us to do a lot of what you just described and it's going to make us better marketers and better communicators in all aspects, including employee, you know, recruitment and retention. My question is that's going to be hard for a lot of senior leaders to deal with that much change at once. So let's talk through about just how can we be proactive, either leaders that are, you know, maybe not really good at, at that much change at once. How can we get better at being ready for that? Or how can we be supporting those leaders to help them get ready for that onslaught of a lot of change all at once? Cause I mean, I think we alluded to it earlier. It's very difficult for some leaders to be able to recognize that, you know, like the way Gen Z talks about, you know, you just said that, but that's not what you're saying, or who's your boss. That's uh, there's all there's a lot of change right now i think that i'd love to have some tips from you to just say how can we as listeners right now impact something for the positive
3: it's interesting that you phrased the question in terms of change you know i, I did a review of about 30 articles wondering what the biggest leadership challenges are and the number one thing came up that that came up was managing change <laughs> and so i i think you know number one if <laughs> you talk about ai i mean Yeah, you're right. Dump all this data in there. Generate a report. (laughs) And I think when you when you deliver this report, you know, to uh, senior administrators, I I think was really and this is going to sound kind of corny, but I think you have to really prepare them for it. And, And I think there has to be a conversation on the front end saying, okay, listen, if we want if we want to really increase student satisfaction, Uh, donor satisfaction, alumni satisfaction. We have to figure out how we're going to increase employee satisfaction. And so that way, you know, you, you kind of give them a small bite on a, I mean, you give them, you give them the big thing on the, on the front end, but I think the small thing that happens at, at you know, on a, on a front end, on the back end of this is, getting that buy in from senior leadership and basically just finding out from them okay do you want to change how we're doing this and you know how and do you want us to start really working on this for you and i think bart i think the way to really really get this going for for a lot of folks is saying hey you know what here's what we found in this data we found that there are some employees who no matter what happens at this place, they just love it. They love the, They love being on campus. They love the students. They are here for the students. They're here for the mission. They love it when volleyball season comes around. They love when basketball season, they're excited about our new baseball team. You know, and They're excited about these things. Let's look at these employees. Let's put these employees in a room and figure out, and this is something that I really borrowed from my good colleague, Jamie Hunt, let's figure out how to get them to lead a brand ambassadorship and, and and I think I think that's what you look for in the data you know and I think when you go to senior leaders they have to know that there is a group of people that they can depend on but I think also it's about asking that senior leader well what do you believe in and 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 where do you see the value in in your in what you're doing here yourself? How do we take the value that you see? How do we take what gets you up out of bed every day? And how do we match that with this group of excited employees? And how do we start with this nucleus? And just know that we're not going to turn this ship. (laughs) You know, it's not going to happen this semester. And it may not happen this academic year, but we can start. And and I I think taking small bites of the apple with small events, small types of engagements and that sort of thing. I think that's where you do it. And I think also, again, for me, there's a lot of working behind the scenes. I think there's a lot of getting these excited employees and letting them lead the charge on on customer service trainings around campus, you know? Because you got to have the people who want to be there, you got to have them lead the charge. And the people who want to be there have a way of helping the people who don't want to be there at least see a silver lining in the experience right yeah
2: i think that's exactly the way to do it and i i think you're right on with that that's excellent advice
3: yeah yeah so i you know and i really do think that and i really do think that making that experience kind of the north star and i think another thing is you start to you i think you start (laughs) this is gonna sound really corny but i think i think you start to dream as an institution you know, and you start asking yourself, what can we do that's gonna make people miss this place when they leave, you know? And a lot of people fail to ask that question because, you know, I can think of a couple of places I left and I can't necessarily say that, you know, I'm dying to go back, but there are things that I miss so much about being at those places. And if they came calling with a bigger
1: paycheck, maybe I would consider it, (laughs) but you know.
2: (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. (laughs)
1: Eddie, if you could bring our episode to a close by offering a piece of advice that someone could implement right away that you feel would move the needle for them.
3: Yeah, I think I think first of all, I think I'm going to go back to getting buy-in from the administration. You know, I think that's the first thing. It, I don't care how big or how small your institution is. If you can go to the administration and get buy-in from them that really making the employee experience a satisfying one is something that is important to this institution thriving. I think that's I think that's a big win. I think that's a huge win, because if you have the president and if you have the board saying, hey, you know what? We do want to be a best place to work. We we want that. And I think that might even be it. I mean, you might even go to them and say, hey, you know what? I saw that X, Y, Z, because there are some universities that have popped up on best places to work. And if you say, hey, you know what? How do we get on, on this list? How do we get on the best place to work list? You know, forget, let's put a Roman aside right now. Let's put fundraising numbers aside right now. How do we become a best place to work? Because I bet you any money, we're best place to work. We get the top enrollment people. We get the top fundraisers. We get the top Marcom people. We get the top professors. If we do that, how do we do it? And I think a lot of times, if you can get senior administrators to see that as a goal, that's something it doesn't, it's not intimidating. As a matter of fact, it's almost kind of exciting, you know, because it's so new, because everybody's so worried about getting into every other ranking, but this is a new kind of ranking. And so, you know, how do you do that? And even if you don't make that list, you still at least have a story to tell that, you know what, we thought about this as a goal, but it actually started us thinking about, well, wait a minute. We do wanna be a great place to work and we actually wanna be the best place to work in our state. So how do we do that? So I think I think that's one thing, Troy, that's simple. It can be done at any institution, any size, that can really get the ball rolling.
1: Thank you, Eddie. And I kind of feel guilty because I know you have a lot to offer around this topic of employer branding within higher ed. So what I, what I would like to do is make sure that everyone knows what how to contact you, also your podcast, your website. Let's just make sure everyone knows how to follow you and how to contact you because you put out wonderful content.
3: Thank you. I appreciate that. And man, I I really appreciate the honor of being on this podcast. And I would say, go to my website, go to eddiefrancis.com. You'll get all the social links right there. I love LinkedIn. That's my number one spot these days. And the podcast I want to work there is one that you can listen to. There have been some pretty interesting conversations on that podcast about the workplace culture of higher ed, on cha- on managing change in the workplace, there was one on micromanagement. Man, I had to, you know, I was kind of triggered by that one. But you know, other than that, I mean, <laughs> we've had some we've had some really interesting conversations uh, on that podcast. So I would love it if you join me. And again, thanks a bunch, Bart and Troy, for having me on the Hiring
2: Marketer.
1: It's been our honor. Thank you for joining us, Eddie. Bart, do you have any closing comments you would like to offer?
2: Yeah, I mean, this has just been a packed full of practical advice podcast. And I love these pragmatic podcasts. I think we're kind of getting known for that. And and I love it when guests come ready to, to do that. And so thank you, Eddie, for doing that. And a couple of things I just want to point out is, you know, I made a couple of notes as Eddie was talking about, and I loved when he talked about, you know, making sure that your communications are mission fit for your employees. I think we talk a lot about that with enrollment, especially. But sometimes I think we overfit, we miss the opportunity to really look for those mission fit folks that are going to really excel and do well at our institutions. And so I really valued a lot of what he said there and just the whole idea of getting the buy-in to really be authentic. You know, the, the, what the stories that he told about kind of like what the leadership says out front versus what it is behind the doors, the more we can be authentic and real with ourselves, even just the conversation about, Hey, you know, we might not be where we want to be with diversity, but let's be honest about that. And let's have conversations about that. I think that's going to go a lot further in our authenticity than trying to look like we're something that we may not be. So Eddie, thanks again. This has been a wonderful conversation. And as we're thanking
1: people, I want to thank our producer, Rob Connellan at Westport Studios, who just makes us look and sound great every week. Thank you, Rob. Rob. Also, Yes, we all lean on Rob for our podcast. (laughs) Rob is the man. (laughs) (laughs) He is. Also, we are so grateful for our sponsors, Kaler Solutions, an education, marketing, and branding agency where Bart has these types of helpful conversations every day. So please reach out to him. And by Ring Digital, which we provide direct mail for digital where we Accurately serve ads directly to the devices to address lists at each stage of the enrollment funnel. I'm Troy Singer, my co host Bart Kaler, and our guest Eddie Francis. All thank you for joining us.
0: You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who is a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time.